Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So recently I was in the market for a new bass guitar. And um, now bass guitar is something that used to be a big part of my life, not so much anymore. I used to play a lot and then I retired and then I, um, it's a long story, but I ended up losing my favorite bass guitar in a fire. And so it's a long story, right? I won't give you all the details on that at all. But, uh, but recently, I wanted to replace that guitar. I, I was going to keep one to pass down to my kids and that kind of thing. And so whenever I lost it, I wanted to replace it. And so I've been in the market looking for a bass guitar. Now, for me, the only kind of bass guitar that is a true bass guitar is a Fender bass guitar, all right? So that's a brand. So if you're a guitar guy, you know what I'm talking about. Fender is what I wanted. And so um, I, was, I was looking in the market for that. I would get on Facebook Marketplace and, and look for a Fender bass. And um, something that you may not know is Fender makes a starter brand called a Squire, all right? And it's a, called a Fender, or it's a Squire by Fender. That's what it is. But on Facebook, people will list their Squire guitar as a Fender guitar, and it's not a Fender guitar, all right? This is like a soapbox kind of a thing for me. It's not the same. Um, It's not the same at all. There's very big differences between the two. They have markers that kind of separate separate them. There's certain things. So a Squire guitar, just in case you're interested, I've got a picture of them right here for you. They look very similar, right? They're made by the same people, kind of. And and so they're, they're very similar, but there are certain qualities that are different. A Squire is just made, it's made of cheaper wood, which makes it heavier. It, it makes the tone sound different. Um, it doesn't sound as good. Uh, squires are made with different kind of hardware or electronics. All that affects the sound of the guitar. There, there's several other things, and I can tell you're super excited about it, so I'm not going to bore you any further with my guitar um, uh, soapbox that I'm on right, right now, but the point is, they look very similar, right? But there's there's difference. One is genuine and one is fake. <laughs> uh, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it still oinks like a pig, right? And so I wanted a Fender guitar. So sometimes, the point is, sometimes it's hard to know what's genuine, even in church life. It's hard to know what's genuine and what's, what's fake, even whenever it comes to church kind of things. And recently, um, it seems to be kind of in the news and different things where um, some, some fake type church stuff is in the media. So there's a recent podcast, you may, have, you may have heard it, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, anybody listen to that? Yeah, okay. If you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, it's fine. <laughs> now, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill was about um, the fall of a pastor in Seattle named Mark Driscoll and kind of his whole, whole journey. There, there, there's always something in the news, right, of different pastors or different people, prominent Christians kind of falling and doing different things. Recently, there's a guy named Ravi Zacharias, if you heard that whole thing. And so whenever that happens, like, man, that can shake us. It can shake us because it's hard for us to know what's genuine and what's not. And so today, how do I know if the ministry that I'm a part of is genuine? How do I know if my pastor or pastors are genuine? How do I know if I am genuine, right? That's what we're talking about this morning. And what we're going to see 
is that the marks of genuine ministry are a selfless mindset, a gentle and loving approach, and a lifestyle of integrity and encouragement. That's what we're gonna see. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter two. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, we started a, a new series in the book of 1 Thessalonians last week. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a little bit of the context on what's happening here in this passage. The, the context for this morning's passage is a bit awkward because Paul and Silas are being accused of being fake. They're being accused of being fake and not really in ministry for the right reasons. If you remember last week out of Acts chapter 17, I showed you the origin story of how the church in Thessalonica came to be. And there was a situation that happened where the people uh, ran Paul and Silas out of town. An angry mob ran them out of town. And he talks about the oppression that they faced in First Thessalonians. That's what he's talking about. And so those people ran them out of town because they didn't like the message that they were speaking. And then they followed them onto the next town in Berea. But they kept running their mouth about Paul and Silas in Thessalonica to the church in Thessalonica because if you can tear down the messenger, you can tear down the message. And that's what they were trying to do. They were spreading false accusations and lies about Paul and Silas. And they accused him of a lot of things, but they accused him of rushing in and just kind of taking advantage of the people there, primarily for money. That's what they were saying. You just rushed in, you, you shared these crazy stories uh, for their money. And Paul in this passage is going to kind of come back against that because he's writing to them about different things in this book, but before he can address those, he has to address these false, ac false accusations against him. He has to put their mind at rest. And, and he uses the phrase several times in this, in fact, about six times, a phrase like this or similar, and he says, as you know. And he appeals to the things that they saw for themselves. Like, you know this to be true. You know what we did in Thessalonica to be real and to be True, and so he, he appeals to that. He's saying, you know our motives. You saw the results for yourself. You know that we are not fake. Quit spreading lies about me. That's essentially what Paul is gonna say. And so, this is kind of a tough passage to preach. Um, it's kind of tough. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird one to, to, to dive into for us this morning because Paul isn't doing what he typically does where he like lines out uh, something and says, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Instead, he's kind of defending himself and in a way kind of building his own resume, not in a braggadocious way, not, not, he's not being arrogant or anything like that. He is, he's just saying, this is what we have done. And so this morning, we're gonna look at this text through the lens of Paul, through his eyes and what he's saying. Um, Pastor Josh in Conway, he's gonna talk about this passage a little differently. He's gonna talk about it from the view of the Thessalonians. Right, And so if you're interested in that, again, you can go on our podcast and you can check that out sometime this week. But we're going to look at it through what Paul is saying, how he's defending himself in his ministry to know if it's genuine or not. Before we do that, I want us to pray and uh, before we dive into this. So I'm going to pray for all of us. Why don't you just pray for yourself right now as I, as I pray. God, we just want to pause and we want to um, just ask you to speak. As we dive into this letter from Paul written to these people a long time ago, it still informs our lives today. And so God, would you help us to see that? Would you help it to shape us and how we even go about our day, the rest of today and our Monday, tomorrow? Like, would you just help this uh, frame our week that we would be genuine in our ministry and the things that we do as your followers? I pray now, God, that it would be 
uh, everything that you would have to say and nothing that I would have to say in this moment. I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly and that we would see Jesus and leave changed. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read the first six verses together. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Let's pause right there. We're going to end up reading the rest of the chapter, but I'm going to show us three genuine, or three marks, three signs of genuine ministry this morning. And we should, as a church, we should ask ourselves, do these things, do these characteristic, characteristics describe my life and my ministry? Because the Bible talks about we're all ministers of the gospel, right? So do these things mark my life? The first mark of genuine ministry is a selfless mindset. A selfless mindset. We see here that they sacrificed uh, their own safety in the first couple of verses. That they were willing to sacrifice safety. Paul, you know, he's, he's being accused that he is benefiting from the people in Thessalonica. And, and Paul's like, wait, we, we saw great results. That's what he says in, in the first couple of verses. We saw great results, but I suffered for it. Like, I faced a lot of hard, hard things from this. I certainly didn't benefit from it personally. In the first couple of verses, you saw phrases there that mentioned the suffering that they encountered, the outrageous treatment. It says that they faced great opposition. What's he talking about? He mentions Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, that's where you get the story of what happened in Philippi. And if you, you, you probably remember um, as you've grown up in church or different things, like you've heard this story or maybe you were with us whenever we did our Philippians series and we talked about how that church formed and Paul goes to this area and he's talking to Lydia and he's talking to the slave girl and he's talking to the jailer and, and that's who makes up the church in Philippi. Well, what happens is Paul cast out a demon from the slave girl who's demon possessed and her owner gets mad about that and has Paul and Silas thrown into prison. And if you remember, that's the story where at midnight the, the earthquake happened, the, the jail doors opened and their stocks that they were in came off. You remember that story? And Paul says, don't, don't harm yourself to the jailer, we're still here, we, we stayed. That's that story, but they were thrown in jail in Philippi. And then they go to Thessalonica and you know what happened, we talked about that last week in Acts chapter 17, where they are um, ran out of town again by an angry mob of Jews. And so Paul's saying, we saw great results, but it wasn't easy. I didn't come in for my own personal gain. He sacrificed his safety in order to see those things. Paul's saying, I didn't come to Thessalonica to get anything. I came to give something. I came to give the good news of Jesus. And that's really what defines selfless, selfless ministry. Understanding it's not about me. It's not about my own personal gain. It's not about my well-being or my career or even my safety. It's all about God. 
And Paul understood that. So he sacrificed his safety, he also sacrificed his popularity in verses four through, four through six. He says, we've been approved by God. We speak not to please people, but, but God. For we didn't use flattering speech. We weren't trying to impress you. God is our witness. We didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. See, for Paul, ministry was never about what he could gain. It was never about him at all. He didn't want to seem impressive. He didn't want to seem smart. He didn't want to come across as a big deal. He just wanted to please God. And why? He tells us, he says, God is the one who approves him. God is the one who has entrusted him with the gospel. God is the one who examines his heart. So he didn't need the approval or glory from people. That's big that Paul would say that he didn't need any approval, any glory from people. So that for us, right, is both convicting and encouraging. It's convicting because I think we all want to be liked. I know I do. I do. Like, I, when I stand up here, I hope you enjoy the sermon that you're hearing. I hope you leave going, it was worth going to today. I do. I, I enjoy the text messages that you send afterwards. I enjoy after service uh, people saying nice things. I, I do enjoy those things, but I also know how easy it is to care too much about those things. And if I'm not careful, Man, my, my emotional roller coaster can rise or fall based on those things alone because we all want to be liked. If we're not careful, our desires for likes and approval can overshadow the primary reason for doing all of this. We must constantly check ourselves to make sure our desire for approval does not rest in the approval of others but only in God. So it's convicting for that reason, but it's also kind of encouraging it's encouraging to think that, that we're not seeking the approval of, of others, but only God, because ultimately what matters most is not what others think about you. It's only what God thinks about you, right? And so that encourages us. Paul says he didn't need the approval of anyone outside of God. And whenever you and I get to that kind of a place, where we understand that as well, where we're going, I don't necessarily need the approval of these people. I only care what my God says about me and thinks about me. Then you and I will experience real freedom. And so it's encouraging for those, for those reasons. Can I, um, can I kind of go out on a, a limb here and maybe, maybe share another soapbox with you uh, this morning? Ministry is, is not about the individual. Ministry is not about the pastor. It's not about building a platform or popularity. Jesus is not some stepping stone or catapult into stardom or a career or anything like that that we see people doing today, primarily people in ministry. And I just want to say, stop it. Stop it. It's embarrassing. Have you ever thought about how silly the idea or the, or the term Christian celebrity is? It's ridiculous. That's an oxymoron, Right? That, that there's these people, these ministry leaders who seek to be celebrity status um, because it's, uh, in the grand scheme of things, like, you're not a celebrity. Nobody even really knows you. <laughs> Some of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, David Platt, he pastors in Texas, Matt Chandler does, David Platt's in Washington, D.C. Both of those guys could walk down the street of their city, and most people aren't even going to know who they are, Right? 
And so we prop these people up on pedestals and things like that, but in the grand scheme of things, the, the term celebrity pastor is just ridiculous. Ministry is primarily local and unseen. And if you're gonna be in ministry, if you're gonna understand what it is that we do, you gotta understand that, that it's not about a platform, it's not about popularity. Paul himself, the great apostle Paul, would say it's not about the glory of people. So I don't care if you have a few thousand Twitter followers or, or, or have a few people in different cities who know your name, it's not about you at all. And so ministry leaders, we need to do better about seeking that. And the church needs to do better about propping people up. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to prop these, these men or these women up on these platforms and almost kind of set them up on a higher standard than what we are. Pastors are just people. <laughs> They're sinful people in need of daily grace, just like you are. But whenever we place these people on these pedestals and then they fall, then it does real damage to us. And so we need to be careful of that, of you know, your favorite podcast or book or author or, or a conference speaker or whatnot. We need to be careful of that. Paul says, I didn't seek glory from people at all. I didn't need it from you. I didn't need it from others. Another thing we need to talk about here is the idea of being falsely accused. Paul is being falsely accused in this passage. He's dealing with people who don't like him or just flat out making stuff up about him. Can anybody resonate with that? Yeah, I know I can. We've all experienced this, it's hurtful. Having our character torn down or being misunderstood or having motives ascribed to us that just aren't true at all, it hurts. I know it does, especially whenever it comes from a friend or a family member or a colleague, somebody who knows better, somebody who, who knows you, but they just make up false things. I've experienced it, I still experience it, believe it or not, not everyone is thrilled that we started this church, <laughs> you know? And so we, we experience this, but this passage is encouraging because it tells us that nothing is more freeing in ministry than to recognize that God is the only one that I have to please. He's the only one. And so that frees us from the trap of people pleasing. It frees us from, from having to, to, to do or say things that we think people need to hear or want to hear. Like it frees us to speak with boldness does it still hurt when people make up things about you? You better believe it. You bet. It does. It, it hurts. But we have to remember that all we do is for an audience of one. And, and so that's the first thing that we see there, and I spent too much time on it, but Paul shows us a genuine mark of ministry is a selfless mindset. Second, shows us that it, a genuine mark of ministry is a gentle and loving approach. Look at verse seven and eight. It says, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles. Instead, we were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Do you remember whenever you were a kid and you would like fall off your bike or scrape your knee or something like that? Who would you run to, mom or dad? Mom, 100% mom. 
Because dad's going to say something like, it's too far from your heart to hurt you or rub some dirt in it or something like that, right? Mom's going to do different. Mom's going to scoop you up. Oh, baby, you know, and here's a snack and here's a Band-Aid and all that. Like mom's going to, mom's different. And so Paul here, he, he compares himself to a mother. He says a, a nursing mother is gentle. And so that's the picture that he says, we were like that among you. We were gentle and loving with you. Because remember, he's just been accused of rushing in and, and doing real damage in Thessalonica. He's being accused of hurting them. And he's saying, no, it was the opposite. We were like a gentle nursing mother who, who came in and loved you. It's marked, uh, ministry is marked by genuine love for the people. That's the reason verse eight is such a rich verse where he says, we cared so much. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own lives. Why? Because you had become dear to us. We cared so much about you that we, we shared the gospel, yes, but we also shared our lives with you. Can you think of a better way to express your sincere love than by your willingness to share your life? If you think of your own, your own family, what if you told your wife and kids, like, I, I love you, but I don't really want to spend any time with you. It's not going to go over well, right? I mean, there may be days or moments where you think that, but that's not going to go over well. See, sharing life is a gift from God. It's a gift because in those, in those worst days, then we are comforted to know that we have people in our corner. You have your family and your loved ones who are there with you no matter what. And then on the best days, you have people to experience that with and to laugh with and experience joy together. See, in ministry, you share your heart and your life with those you serve because you want to make their lives better. And so we love when we, like, we share life together. You're going to hear the phrase, if you haven't already heard it a million times around here, the second fam, right? The second fam is not just a, a catchy slogan. It's not just something that we say. It's, it's what the church is. Like, we are a second family. You have your first family, and then you have your second family, and that is what a church is supposed to be. A church is a family living life together, crying together, laughing together, growing toward Christ together, and serving together. But some of us are a little bit hesitant to go that deep, right? A little bit hesitant to, to kind of get that involved with a church where you go, that, yeah, that's my family. I, I live life with these people. We're hesitant because a lot of us maybe have been hurt or burned by a church or a group of people or, or something like, like that. That's why Paul says that genuine ministry must have a gentle and loving approach. Ministry has to be gentle, it has to be loving. If, if somebody comes into your small group and they start to share something, they have to know that you're in their corner. They have to know that you aren't gonna use those things against them or ascribe false motives to them. You're like you are there with them and you're gonna cry with them, you're gonna laugh with them, you're gonna serve with them. You are there as a family. Like you need to know that true ministry has to be gentle, it has to be loving. But even if you've been burned, even if you are uncomfortable with the idea of really investing in a church as family, and you need to know that you were built for community. You were designed that way by the God of all creation. Like you need community, you need a church. That's where our small groups step in. The importance of small groups is huge. I can't overstress it. It's there that you find that second family, that you find those that are in your corner that are close, closest 
to you. And Paul says, verse eight, it kind of defines what small group ministry should look like. He says, we're sharing the gospel with one another and we're living life with one another. Man, if our small group ministry could be defined by that, that would be amazing that that's what our small groups are about. We share the gospel with one another and we live life together. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. The third mark of ministry, finally, as we as come to a close, is it's a lifestyle of integrity and encouragement. A lifestyle of integrity and encouragement. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, Paul compares himself to a father here. So first, he, he compared himself to a mother with the Thessalonians. Now he's comparing himself to a good father. Think of a godly father figure in your life. Like, who is somebody, whenever I say a godly father figure, maybe it's your dad or maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe it's a grandpa. Maybe it's somebody else. But who is that godly father figure in your life? I would bet that you are picturing somebody who walks what they talk. You're picturing somebody who is worth following, that they live a life that encourages others, inspires others around them. There's a quote that I like to use, that a rising, a, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? A rising tide lifts all boats, and that's what a good father does. He sets the example and he encourages others to follow. And then he inspires them to live that way as well, right? Paul says that he's like a good father to the Thessalonians. And, and, and he says that he breaks that down kind of in, in three ways. He says, you can look at my life and you can see by my lifestyle that I have integrity. And he kind of hits on three things, their mindset, their lifestyle, and their conduct. Do you see that? He says, we lived devoutly. That, that points to their mindset that holiness and living for God was their number one priority. Like they were committed to it. They were devout and what they were doing. And he says that they lived righteously. That points to their lifestyle, that they lived lives with honesty and integrity. They avoided even the appearance of evil. And he says that they lived blamelessly, and that points to their conduct. He's not saying that they were sinless. He's saying that they lived what's called above reproach, where they didn't even leave the door open for criticism. And that's what Paul's saying. And by the way, he's not stretching the truth. He's not puffing himself up. He says, as you know, and God is our witness. Like, you know this to be true. God knows this to be true, that this is the way we live. Paul walked what he talked. And in that kind of way, he says, we were like a father figure to you. And a father encourages people to follow after them. He inspires them to live the same way. He says, we encouraged, comforted, and implored you to live lives worthy of God. The thing about fathers is they know how to encourage their children. Right? They know how to encourage their children towards certain behavior. Sometimes you need tender words, and sometimes you need a little bit stronger words as well. But genuine ministry is marked by encouraging others to walk with God, by example, and by words of encouragement as well. And so that's what Paul says. He says that genuine ministry is defined by those things, a selfless mindset, right? A, a gentle and loving approach and a lifestyle of integrity and encouragement. So that's how we know. That's how you know if your church is genuine. That's how you know if your pastor 
is genuine. But like I said in the beginning, we also need to hold ourselves up to this light and see where we fall. We also need to, to look at our own lives in response to this text and see how we measure up. Because I told you in the beginning, we are all ministers of the gospel. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, scripture calls you a minister of the gospel. 1 Peter 2, 9, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. All right? And so remember what Paul said about the Thessalonians last week? He called them imitators. You imitated us. And so we, all of us, we're imitators of this example, not just pastors, not just ministry leaders. We would all do well to imitate these things in Paul's life. A selfless mindset, a gentle and loving approach and a lifestyle of integrity and encouragement. So he says, you, you imitated us, but then he also, if you remember last week, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you imitated us you also imitated the Lord. See, these markers of, of genuine ministry, they imitate our Savior. They show us our, our Savior, Jesus. What better example of selfless love than Jesus who would go to a cross and die in our place? What better example of integrity, of encouragement, of gentleness, of love than Jesus? Mark 10, 45, he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served. I didn't come to get anything. I came to serve and I came to give my life for the ransom of many. That's what Jesus says. John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus is our great example of how we actually do this, how we live a selfless lifestyle, how we live gentle and loving, how we live with integrity and encouragement. Jesus did it. He lived a life that we couldn't. I mean, he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross where we should have died. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he's God, proving that he has power over sin and death. And you and I can remedy our sin problem by placing our faith and trust in him and in him alone. It's only by Jesus that you're saved. See, the good news of the gospel doesn't just tell us to try our best on all these things. Everything I just talked about, the marks of ministry, he doesn't just say, just, you better figure this out. Like, you better figure it out and get it done. Because by my nature, I'm not selfless. I'm selfish. By my nature, I'm not gentle and loving. <laughs> by my nature, I'm not, I don't have integrity. Jesus is all of those things. I'm not capable of living a life of true integrity and ministry. The good news of the gospel is not just try harder. The good news of the gospel is trust in Jesus who's already done it. And so that's the good news for us today. And then he begins to work those things out in our life. He does it. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So it's not just us just pulling up our bootstraps and just trying to figure these things out. No, we live in the power of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And he adds these things to our lives. Selfless mindset, gentleness and love and integrity and encouragement. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.